0: Well, we're going to talk about an open secret, about artificial intelligence, and no, not about the silly dystopian tropes about how AI will end work as we know it, but the fact that AI machines, things like ChatGPT, are all energy hogs. invention of useful artificial intelligence, and a lot of it is useful, and you know, it's epitomized by the, the hype we've been hearing about for pretty close to a year now since the unveiling of ChatGPT last November. The interesting thing about AI and ChatGPT is that it's the latest example of a basic truth about technology that I want to talk about, and that is there have always been many more inventions that use energy than those that can produce energy. And that's the nature of progress in everything from medicine and entertainment to information and transportation. And yeah, I know there's a lot of debate and angst about AI's implications for jobs and the economy and politics. But there's one thing that is not a debate. So the fact is that AI is a big deal in applications. Using AI, they're growing at a, uh, to use the uh, overused phrase, they're growing at a blistering pace. The interesting thing about AI for those who are engaged in forecasts about energy and forecasting and mandating how we can produce energy, well, the interesting thing is that no one, by no one, I mean, not anyone has baked into their forecasts about future energy demand, the potential for the emergence, uh, in fact, the guarantee of the emergence of new inventions that will consume energy, things that don't consume energy today because they don't exist today or they're not used at scale today. The relevance should be obvious, right? Every time uh, we see a forecast, and we have an enormous amount of money in policy making devoted to tinkering with and guessing about future energy supplies. So all these forecasts have baked into them assumptions about how much energy we'll use in the future, and, and we're talking not about the next year or so, but the next couple of decades. That's that's what we're spending all this money and all this policy making, you know. Trying to force a quote energy transition on on America and the world. So let's just state sort of an obvious principle, but it's worth stating the invention of the car, for example, you know, it had to be invented at some point in history, but the invention of the car also invented demand for energy to build cars and to operate them. So the short history of silicon chips, which are the engines of the information age, the arrival of AI is, in fact it's kind of a surprise to most most people it's a, it's an unprecedented uh, new feature of energy demand before i explain that let me let me give you an analogy of of where we are and what what this what this looks like technologically speaking and uh, what it means for the future by analogy let's imagine it's 1925 and there were a conference back then you know the kind of conferences that are today made possible by people in airplanes but People didn't fly around a lot in airplanes in 1925, but I digress. Imagine it's 1925 and there were a conference and it convened uh, global engineers who are experts in internal combustion engines. And so at that point in history, it's important to keep in mind that engines and cars have been around for almost four decades. And engines had in the previous decade, that is decade before 1925, had become good enough to make it possible to build things we call airplanes. They weren't widespread use, but they were used. They were used infamously in World War One. So imagine as well, that there's a Ford engineer at that conference uh, and he's forecasting that progress in engine technology will soon make it practical for widespread air travel, for air travel for everyone. And yes, I'm using a Ford engineer for a specific reason because that company, in fact, pioneered not only aviation engines, but it built one of the first practical passenger aircrafts, the 1925 Ford Trimotor. You can look that up in your Google image machine. So also imagine if that engineer back at then had suggested that global air traffic would become so common in the near future, in the foreseeable future, that Flying would consume nearly as much energy as the entire United States did in 1924, 1925 for all other purposes. In fact, you know, a year after that, in 1926, America's very first regularly scheduled year-round commercial air passenger service was put into, into play. And the rest, as they say, is history. So have that analogy in mind. Now let's fast forward to a real conference. In 2022, last year, just a few months before the unveiling of ChatGPT. At that conference, the chief technology officer, a techno wizard, of one of the world leading AI chip makers, uh talked about how powerful AI engines have become chips, you know, the AI chipsets, and how fast they were getting better and how fast they would get adopted because of the value of our art- artificial intelligence of so many applications. And in this not imaginary, but real world conference last year, he also he showed a graph. And about energy, he made an an energy forecast, unlike what people worried about a century ago. And in that graph, it shows a forecast for the energy consumed by AI machines forecast to 2040. And that graph shows a expectation given current trends that AI by the year 2040 consume roughly as much energy as the U.S. does today for all other purposes, not computing purposes, for all purposes. There was another engineer at that conference from another AI chip maker who said, and it was a good line, I'm going to quote him, the compute demand of AI's neural networks is insatiable. Well, compute demand is the synonym for energy demand because it takes energy to run computers. In fact, we are in the early days of artificial intelligence. It's roughly equivalent to being in the um, aviation era circa 1925. This is, this is not news, by the way, that AI has a voracious energy appetite. You know, that inference, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, doesn't do calculations. Does inference, gives advice. It's not news in the computer engineering computer community that uh, AI is one of the most, in fact, the most power-intensive use of silicon yet invented. That's why the energy implications are starting to leak out into... Uh, Or popular press rather than being the trade press, the technical press. In fact, you may have seen headlines about how AI AI itself has a booming carbon footprint or that AI, quote, guzzles energy. Let me tell you where those headlines come from. They come from technical studies and analyses of what it takes to build an AI engine, to build an AI tool. Note I'm talking about building it, not talking about operating it. So this is the equivalent of the energy needed to make all the materials and so forth to build an aircraft. You know, all aircraft built from aluminum, aluminum is energy intensive. So it takes energy to build an aircraft. It takes energy to build an AI. It also takes energy to run AI and fly aircraft. We're talking about the building phase. In, in artificial computing terms, the building phase is called the training phase. When you're training the AI, the software to recognize pictures or to do, you know, do something. So one analysis, and this is not a unique analysis, I'm just giving you this as one example, one analysis found that a sort of modest AI tool, uh, the training of it uh, used more energy than driving a Tesla three hundred thousand miles. there's another analysis done that tried to guess guesstimate the energy it took to build chat GPT because the you know producers of it are not are not saying, but this pretty pretty straightforward ways to, to make a reasonable guesstimate. and that analysis and again, this is these are not these are analyses made by computer engineers not not by, not by uh, typists and uh, journalists. That analysis uh, estimates that the training, uh, the building of ChatGPT, uses as much electricity as driving a Tesla four million miles. Well, uh, so, that's what's called the training phase. Uh, that's a, These are very typical numbers, by the way. You know, hundreds of thousands to millions of miles of electricity, of uh, d- equivalent of driving a Tesla to train. To train uh, an AI tool, and of course, there's not just one kind of tool. You have to, you don't have a universal tool. You have to build tools for very specific purposes, just like we do in, in the mechanical world. And then, then you've got to use the AI tool to do what's called inference. Inference is using it. That is, inference is when the uh, software gives you advice when it recognizes an image or recognizes an object or makes a decision. Other technical papers. Uh, have taken a look at this issue and decided that, uh, well, training seems energy intensive, but the inference phase uses even more energy, likely five to 10 times more energy than just the training phase. So these uh, the technical literature is uh, now filling up with analyses, articles, worries, suggestions about this reality that artificial intelligence is an astonishing consumer of energy and electricity, as one researcher put it, in technical terms, I'm going to quote this researcher: "It's going to be bananas." <laughs> it's a pretty good, pretty good line. It's right on. There, there aren't, really aren't any intersections of the worlds of bits and atoms, of software and hardware, that so dramatically illustrate, in fact, epitomize the inescapable reality uh, of the physics of energy, which is the the feature of a lot of my work and writing and what I talk about. And the challenges in guessing future energy behaviors are also epitomized by AI, by what we're doing to do with AI, what people are trying to do already with AI, how, how fast it's getting better. In fact, it's fair to say that no one can really guess the number of important things we are going to do with AI, Never mind the trivial things that we'll, we'll want to use AI tools for. For most people in the lucky wealthy nations of the world, I should point out that most energy is used for things that, for other than mere survival, we use energy to educate people. We use energy for fun. We use energy to um, grow and build different kinds of things that are more beautiful or more entertaining. Aviation energy, in fact, the fuel used by airplanes, it's dominated by citizens traveling for fun, for vacations, see family, business traveler. For those of you who don't follow this kind of data, business travelers account for well under 20% of global air passenger miles. In fact, they haven't returned to that level since the, um, the lockdown periods and the recovery period. So we're still put, to put differently. Air travel is frivolous if you're worried about consumption of energy, but it put in more human terms, it's something that people like to do. They like to take vacations and visit family such as the nature of energy consumption in general. That will be the nature of energy consumption from artificial intelligence. But the big difference in forecasting how much energy aircraft would come to use if you're going back to 1925, versus forecasting how much energy AI will come to use, is that AI is a a general purpose technology, unlike aircraft, which is a special purpose technology. That is, an aircraft is used, self-evidently, to move goods and people primarily whereas AI is a universal tool. It's what's called a general purpose technology in in the language of economists. And so it has potential applications in everything, everywhere. That makes it far harder to forecast all the uses and also makes it far harder to guess how much energy all those uses will, in fact, consume in the future. I mean, AI tools will be used for things that we consider sort of frivolous today you know fine-tuning advertising performing social media tricks creating deep fakes to uh, annoy hapless voters uh they'll also be used to make it possible for self-driving cars to eventually be useful for autonomous robots for better manufacturing for better uh, medical diagnosis better medical treatment all, all kinds of things everywhere in fact one of the most interesting ones in my mind not to digress into a Podcast about just AI's uses. It'll be in creating hyper hyper realistic um, simulcrums, if you like, of reality where you can do vehicle crash testing in silico in a computer instead of in real life, and you can also do not only drug discovery but drug testing eventually in silico as computers get more powerful. It's 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 a extraordinarily uh, promising area which is, uh, as I said, growing at a blistering pace. But the number of applications means that the amount of energy used for each application needs to be in the calculus of thinking about the future. For the energy accountants, I'll give you you another example. For the energy accountants, uh, you can imagine a single research team um, running simulations using AI on a a supercomputer, and you need to use a supercomputer to run AI in general, and you you need to use a very powerful supercomputer to do simulations of say uh, molecular behavior for drug discovery. But those kinds of simulations, each, each one uses an astonishing amount of energy. In fact, running a dozen simulations uses the energy equivalent of flying an A380, a jumbo jet, uh, you know, from from Houston to Tokyo. And you can you can expect, you should imagine, you should in fact hope that there won't be just dozens but thousands, if not millions, of those kinds of simulations being done in the future in order to uh, come up with new drugs and test the drugs in, in silico instead of in humans. This is this is not, again, I said at the outset, not a surprise to the um, technical community. In fact, uh, the analytic community has pointed out in um, in the technical literature that the compute power and, and as I said, derivative, derivatively, the energy used to run these computers uh, the amount of compute power devoted to doing machine learning training uh, has been doubling every several months. I mean, this is an astonishing compound growth rate. Last year, Facebook uh, published the fact that they uh, had seen a doubling in one year in their global data center energy use. And they stated publicly that the key driver for that doubling in one year in its data center energy use was uh, AI. Just recently, uh, Microsoft uh, reported a quote-unquote spike, a 34% spike in the amount of water they use to cool their data centers. This is in the last, uh, in the last year over this, this calendar year. That is uh, water use. Uh, you might imagine is uh, use water use is a direct a direct measure of energy use. It's the equivalent of measuring how much fuel a combustion engine consumes by accounting the amount of gallons of water that are flowing through the cooling system. You don't need the cooling unless you're using energy. So it's a direct measure of an astonishing increase in very short time in the amount of energy. And again, uh, this is being driven not by more cat videos and zooming. It's being driven in large measure by the use of AI and in inference to do both learning and operate uh, different kinds of systems and services using AI tools. It's it, it's another sort of open secret that AI is already driving a massive shift in both the nature and the magnitude of the infrastructure of the cloud. A Google VP of of cloud deployment, one of their senior engineers, he called it a, quote, phase change in terms of how we look at infrastructure. The Wall Street Journal had a pretty good headline recently. Um, You can probably find this if you're a subscriber. It's called The AI Boom is Here. The Cloud May Not Be Ready. By the cloud that's where ai runs there's you can put ai embedded for limited tasks inside of devices in fact it's a practical matter the facial recognition technology in your smartphone is a very elementary rudimentary form of ai it's smart enough to recognize your face it's not doing it it's not doing a calculation it's doing an image recognition an inference that's really you The fact is right now, if you follow this, every single computer vendor, every chip maker, every software maker, every IT service provider, every one of them is talking about new offerings that they have that involve artificial intelligence, AI. It's kind of the Silicon gold rush of our era. And probably the only time there's been this much enthusiasm and velocity uh, in adoption of a new technology or excitement about a new technology, probably the last time would be... the. You know, the 1990s, you know, when the world moved from mainframes to desktops and handhelds, when the internet itself began to take off, it, this sort of feels and smells a lot like that. In fact, the AI enthusiasm is, is in the stock market, looks a lot like the run up to the um, the tech uh, peak and boom. In fact, the odds are, it's pretty pretty easy to predict that history will repeat itself. The boom will continue for a while. We're in the boom still as I as I talk, likely as this podcast goes into the ether. But the boom almost certainly gets followed by a bust, which gets followed if it's just like the last one, the Y2K one, by then the long boom. And it's that long boom that has the really interesting implications for forecasting uh, both AI's use and its energy demands. Let me continue with the analogy that I began with. Uh, because the infrastructure itself that gets built points to the potential for future energy use. It doesn't predict actual outcomes, but any more than counting highways or, or runway miles is predictive of fuel use, except that building the infrastructure is obviously what enables the fuel to be used. I'm sure future historians will look back at today's cloud infrastructure as analogous to the 1920s, Stage of the transportation infrastructure, which was pre-superhighway days back then, and also was, by the way, time of grass runways that was predates the arrival arrival of the modern paved runways. So, before we see what the uh, next phase of Silicon evolution brings, you know, what kind of services, kind of social changes, which, again, will to use the analogy, will very much be like the kinds of disruptions and changes, good and bad the automobile and aircraft brought to to the economy century ago, we can get we can probably get a good idea of what the implications are for energy. So I'm sticking with the energy implications of building out this infrastructure. So to to have a sense of how big the energy demand is going to be from putting the pedal to the metal, so to speak, by putting energy hungry silicon to the cloud, start with re- reviewing how much energy the cloud already uses i mean it's uh, i've written about this many times talked about it often not i don't think i've done a lot of podcasts on this so automobiles and aircraft pretty easy sort of conceptually think about how energy is used you see the engines around you and you can imagine how much fuel the engines use and if it's your car you put the fuel in the car whether it's electric gasoline you're, you're putting it in you see it with the information infrastructure the digital engines are mostly hidden, the ones that really consume the most energy aren't the ones in your hand. They're hidden away, sort of hidden in plain sight, so to speak, in thousands of sort of warehouse-like nondescript buildings that are called data centers. In each data center, and there are thousands of these data centers, in each data center, there are thousands of refrigerator-sized racks of silicon machines. Each rack burns more electricity in a year than 50 Teslas and that's using the old technology. That's before we fill the racks with artificial intelligence silicon. In square footage terms, data centers are you can think of them as the skyscrapers of the modern era, except there are a lot more data centers than there are skyscrapers both in existence and being built. And except that a single square foot of a data center uses a hundred times the power of a single square foot of a skyscraper. And it's not just data centers that, that use the energy, of course, you have to connect to the data centers. This the information. Processing the inference, the information storage that's in the cloud has to self-evidently connect to the devices and the devices that you use. And the devices, of course, have to send information to the cloud. Those networks are also enormous. We have more than a billion miles of information highways uh, made of glass cables and another roughly 100 billion virtual miles of connections through wireless networks. The machinery for transporting information on that transportation infrastructure, just like the machinery for transporting physical things in the physical infrastructures that we think about for airplanes and cars, all the machinery in both infrastructures for transporting, whether it's bits, that's software and data or people, you know, the, the atoms world, all machinery consumes energy. And in fact, the wireless networks have an energy cost that's 10 times more per byte transported than going on a glass network. It's not unlike the, the principle of physics that flying is more fuel intensive than driving. In fact, put in staying with the aviation terms, if we think about the flight chambers who don't want you flying because they're using energy, it's worth noting that to, to, the, the, the total global uh, digital infrastructure uh, today in the world uses roughly the same m- amount of energy as global aviation. It's a big number and it's growing faster than global aviation. In fact, it's gonna grow even faster as we begin to infuse artificial intelligence engines and services into all that hardware and all the the software services. Like this is not uh, an indictment of uh, the the technical community. The Digital firms are energy wastrels. They're not trying to waste energy. This is not a waste of energy. This is a use of energy for economic good, Maybe scientific good, social good, and you know some silly things. I mean, people do silly things, they do silly things with all kinds of tools. But the fact is, progress and technology, as I said at the outset, technology, new technologies always use energy. But silicon engineers have done something that's really quite remarkable. I mean, the, they have done they have they have they have engineered into the machines that they build gains in efficiency that are unprecedented uh, in history for any class of machines. So when I talk about how much more energy is going to be used by artificial intelligence, I'm sure what's in your head, what's always said in response, what's written in response, always and everywhere is, oh, we'll solve that quote problem by making the machines more efficient. Well, of course we're going to make them more efficient. I mean, that's what engineers always do. But There's something wrong with this logic. Uh, let me explain what's wrong with the logic, but first... Just have in in mind the basic principle. When engineers invent the new technology, innovators invent a new technology, the new technology when it begins is always less efficient than the technology gets over time because that's what one always does because that's what makes it easier and cheaper to operate. And therefore, if you're trying to sell or promote or use that service, you want its cost to go down. If you want its cost to go down, you have to make it more efficient, it's just locked into the nature of technology. This is uh, this has been given a name. I mean, so if, if efficiency gains um, have been called uh, that, drive demand have been called Jevons' paradox. You may have heard this. This is uh, this is named after a British economist, William Stanley Jevons, who codified the phenomena, and he wrote a paper back in 1865. Uh, he wrote this paper because people worried he was an economist they were worried at that time that england would run out of coal because the demands for that fuel were growing enormously because that fuel itself was fueling economic growth so it was a a do loop a virtuous circle the fuels of the industrial age created growth the growth created more demand the demand for coal rose people worried we run out of coal so the solution that was offered by everyone at the time was we should make the engines more efficient but jevons pointed out was that the improvements in energy efficiency using less coal per unit of energy produced would he pointed out it would cause more not less overall coal consumption and that's why it's called the quote-unquote paradox it's not a paradox he knew it wasn't a paradox in fact modern economists have, uh call it something like the rebound effect but it's not a rebound it's the point of efficiency. The point of efficiency, again, is to reduce the number of inputs so that you can reduce the cost of the output so more people can afford the product or service that the machine is intended to supply. So in the real world, improvements in efficiency uh, create demand. In the policy world, in the imaginary policy world, efficiency is always offered as a way to cut demand. You cut demand by uh, stopping people from using things. That's not efficiency. That's uh, a diktat, uh, or you could call it conservation, which is different than efficiency. Efficiency, always and everywhere through all of history at the macro level, increases demand. Yes, it's true at the microeconomic level that efficiency can eventually lead to lower demand. That is, for certain specific technologies, at certain services, at certain areas, you get a saturation. For example, uh, you can only eat so much. If I make food cheap enough, in fact, if I make food free, uh, you can eat enough to get fat, but there's a very specific limit to how much food humans can eat. Picking towards free does not cause a a infinite increase in demand. Similarly, people have a limit to their tolerance, how many hours they want to spend in a car. If I make car travel even cheaper, up to a point you get more travel, but at some point it just saturates because people don't want to spend all their life in a car. It looks like we've already reached saturation for the number of hours people want to spend in the cars in wealthy economies. So there are microeconomic specific cases, but at the macroeconomic level, the overall point for societies is that increasing efficiency increases demand. In fact, to go back to Jevons. Back in the steam engine era in 1865, if affordable steam engines had remained as inefficient as the first that were invented, they'd never have proliferated, nor would the economic gains from the steam era ever have proliferated. The same is true for combustion engines. In fact, today's aircraft are 300% more efficient than the first commercial passenger jets, not first airplanes of 1925. They're much more efficient than those. I'm talking about the first commercial passenger jets of the 1950s. So today's aircraft are some 300% more efficient. That didn't save fuel. Uh, The total consumption of aviation fuel since then has gone up 400%. The quote unquote rebound effect. So that's, you can see why they called it rebound. 300% increase in efficiency, drove a 400% increase in overall demand for energy. This is exactly the dynamic that's playing out in digital engines and will play out in spades, so to speak, with respect to Uh, artificial intelligence engines driving force of the 21st century is the information economy the digital engines that drive everything microprocessors are the purest example of the so-called jevons paradox in fact over the past 60 years if we want to just finish with some example of how how much this has driven growth and how much therefore we'll see more growth in energy demand for Computing that's driven by AI, let's look again at the technology that we've, trends that we've already experienced in computing. So over the past 60 years, the energy efficiency of silicon engines, logic engines, has improved a billion fold. But I'm here to tell you, the use of digital information, digital traffic, has increased over a trillion fold. This is a thousand fold, thousand fold rebound. That kind of trend is typical for efficiency. But let me put it in concrete terms if if uh if you if you had the energy efficiency of computing of nineteen eighty that was you know the Apple II era that's when the desktop era sort of the hints of it began if if uh if a modern iPhone operated at the energy efficiency of a nineteen eighty computer, energy efficiency, you would need the electricity that powers an entire skyscraper to power one smartphone. Obviously, the fact that there are a billion smartphones in the world, not zero, is a consequence of the fact that the energy efficiency of smartphones improved astonishingly. That's what will happen with artificial intelligence. That's already happening, in fact. There's a leading-edge AI chip company that... uh, called cerebras which is built a, a an astonishing um, AI chip it's the chip is chip's a misnomer the chip is the size of a, a dinner plate a small pizza it's a single chip uh, it's a, a chip to do a graphics processing which is what you use for artificial intelligence software that single chip has two million transistors that consumes 15 kilowatts of power that's the house of about three house power of about three houses but it's Ten thousand times faster than the best other AI chip in the market, and is ten times more energy efficient. So we've already seen a leap. What that will mean is that it will cost a tenth as much to make and operate an AI application if you use that class chipset. That's that kind of trend. Is exactly why all the forecasts, which it short-term forecasts for the sale of AI chips. Uh, are seeing it grow some 700% in the next five or six years. And that's why derivatively we're seeing the kind of a hyperbolic stock market valuations for AI chips. But, you know, as an aside, I'll say again, odds are high that the valuations will uh, outrun re- the real world and we'll get, you know, the cycle I just talked about. It'll The valuations will get out over the skis, so to speak. So let me give you another fact set to keep in mind with respect to the, um, uh, impact of uh, AI on energy demand for the energy forecasters. And come back to a topic I've spoken a lot about in recent podcasts, electric vehicles. It will perhaps surprise you to learn that the state of the cloud today, the digital infrastructure of uh, of pre-AI silicon, that whole infrastructure globally uses 10 times more electricity than all the world's electric vehicles combined. As of today, I remember like I said in an earlier podcasters on the order of uh, uh, 14, 14 to 20 million EVs, depending on how you count them in the world right now. And all those combined use one tenth as much electricity as the global cloud. Uh, if we look at the hyperbolic forecast for EVs, if you believe them, and we're not going to debate that issue in this podcast, I've already debated that issue uh, earlier and try to put a stake through its heart, but whatever, assume that that happens. Even if we get a more than 10-fold, we get a 30-fold increase a number of electric vehicles by the year 2030. By that point in time, if you don't assume any AI chips in the cloud, the cloud's electric appetite will still be 50% greater than powering all the EVs each year. And if we add to that, infusing the energy-hungry features of AI into the cloud, it's an easy bet to make the cloud will use more than twice, probably three times as much electricity as is now imagined and as will ever be used by any forecast for electric vehicles over that time period. I'm looking forward to seeing some uh, serious forecasts about the energy demand uh, for the cloud that incorporate the types of uh, rollout of AI that we know is going to be coming. It's interesting that Elon Musk at a conference earlier this year, I think it was in May or June, he was at a conference talking about the electric utility industry conference. You can find it if you go to go to Google and type Elon Musk EEI conference Edison Electric Institute conference. He gave an interview talking about the, the electric utility industry chastising the industry executives that were there for underestimating and under planning for future electric power needs. I, you know, in large measure, I'm sure he is referring in the main to the demands to you know plug in electric vehicles, but he's pretty smart guy he's pretty keenly aware of the, of the artificial intelligence appetite for for electrons too i suspect that was in his head as well but we'll see in the coming months you know a professor at the um, university of pennsylvania who who works in this area a computer engineering professor he called uh, the ai's energy appetite the 800 pound gorilla in the room he's a lot of technical terms like this is going to be bananas 800 pound gorillas <laughs> you could see these Engineers are getting a little, a little bit anxious about how much, how much energy demand is coming from AI. But it, he was interviewed uh, recently about his observations about just how much energy demand AI is going to create. But it, he also said, uh, and he was quick to say this, he didn't want to, he didn't want to propose that we stop and slow down the advance and uh, deployment of AI because, and he wasn't talking about any other feature of it except how important it was going to be. For improving drug discovery, therapeutics, and basic research in scientific domains, which, by the way, are among the most energy-intensive uses of AI, because the problems are really big and really hard. There is one way that uh, we're going to slow down the deployment of AI, and it's not because governments are going to be worried about AI being used to, you know, spoof people on on Twitter or as it's now called X, or make deep fakes. Uh, the policies that the government is implementing now that will could potentially slow AI down are government energy policies, because government energy policies are leading to increased cost of electricity. There's a connection here. If you think where I started, I told you how many hundreds of thousands of miles of Tesla driving you have to engage in to equal the amount of electricity consumed by training one modest AI or four million miles of driving a Tesla to train an AI tool like ChatGPT. And keep in mind, unlike building an airplane, you build it once, you fly it. But most applications of AI, you have to keep retraining the tool as new data comes along, as new information, especially if the thing is operating to do something in real time. The training is um, repeated, you know, it's a wash and rinse kind of <laughs> kind of category of, of technology. So convert these numbers into dollars though. So imagine you're, you're training an AI tool and if you're training it in a, on a computer in a state with low-cost electricity or a country with low-cost electricity, you're going to spend $100,000 on electricity to train one modest AI tool. If you happen to try to do that training in California, say, or Germany, where electricity is more expensive, you're going to spend four hundred dollars to $500,000 just on electricity purchases, just to train and not operate uh, the AI tool. So if we push the country towards really expensive electricity, that'll 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 slow that'll slow some things down because it'll get very expensive. You could imagine training the tool somewhere else. I mean, the inference often has to be done where you are. In other words, you have to read to, to do things like autonomous vehicles, to do flight control systems for aircraft. There's a lot of things that you have to do locally, but the training can be done elsewhere. Just the way, well, for example, you can build an airplane uh, with aluminum, but you can have the aluminum made elsewhere, like say in China. China makes 60% of the world's aluminum. China's grids are 60% coal fired. So cheap coal electricity is what we make most of the world's aluminum with. so if you have that aluminum made in China, you can build the airplane here and then you don't have to worry about the energy used to operate the airplane. You could do the equivalent with an AI tool. You could train the AI tool in China if you wanted, or, tra- or train it in Norway on hydro dams if they'd let you. Um, they aren't building any more hydro dams, so this will become a problem. But as a practical matter, that's not what's going to happen. Some of that will happen. As a practical matter, uh, the cost of electricity will become a factor. So, what will happen? Well, set aside whether electricity gets more expensive or not. And it's going to get more expensive. Again, subject for another podcast. What's going to happen is that engineers will make AI more efficient so that the $400,000 worth of electricity purchased to train an AI will become 100,000 because they will make it four times more efficient. But what will happen is we'll find 10 times the number of applications. And so instead of spending 100,000 training, be a million dollars in training the extra applications. That's the trend of silicon logic. That's the trend of efficiency. That's what's happening with artificial intelligence. That's why so many of the forecasts about where energy demand is going, I think, are so wrong. There is some irony in the fact, by the way, that the tech community has joined with the energy transition lobby to promote the expansion and use of power plants that increase the cost of electricity. I mean, I don't say this lightly, but it's subject for earlier podcasts for future podcasts everywhere in every state in every country where there's more wind and solar the cost of electricity has risen so it's also decreased the reliability of electricity which becomes ever more important as you move into a world where we depend more on high reliability software which a priori only runs if it's plugged into something so it's going to be a very interesting intersection uh, in fact you know, I talk a lot about the intersection between bits and atoms as a way to understand the physics of energy. This is an example of where the intersection of bits and atoms is going to tell us a lot about the intersection of the politics of energy. I, th- I think we'll sort it out. Uh, as you know, I'm optimistic about these things. In fact, I think we'll sort it out because it's important to sort it out. I think AI tools, aside from the hype, are so important and be so valuable in so many so many domains of life that the uh, cost to operate them and the cost to build them will become increasingly important and will cause a, a reality check in terms of what we do in energy policy in general to make sure we have low cost and high reliability electricity. So on that uh, soup song of optimism, that's it for this episode of The Last Optimist. If you are listening and liking, you know what to do. Tell people you like it rate give us the give us the ratings from the platforms where you are and if you don't like it well recommend us to your enemies as they say <laughs> anyway that's it for this episode episode of the last opness